1: And welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about Britain's reaction to the uh, invasion of the Soviet Union by Nazi Germany. Um, I'm reading today from All Behind You Winston, uh, Churchill's Great Coalition 1940-45 uh, by Roger Hermiston. And um, here we have the, the period of Barbarossa beginning on the 22nd of June Um, 1941. Um, Hermiston writes, at 7.30 on the morning of Sunday the 22nd of June 1941, there was a knock on the door of Foreign Secretary Anthony Eden's room at Chequers. Churchill's valet, Frank Sawyers, entered and presented Eden with a large cigar and a silver salver, announced the Prime Minister's compliments and the German armies have invaded Russia. Putting on his dressing gown, Eden walked along the corridor to Churchill's room. We savoured the relief, but not for me at that hour, the cigar, and discussed what was immediately uh, to do. After almost a year of isolation, Britain and the British Empire were no longer alone in facing the might of Hitler's forces. So, to describe it as isolation is perhaps... um, not quite entirely uh, the, the full story because, of course, Britain ha- was being um, armed and supplied um, by a uh, an entirely sympathetic United States of America uh, which was uh, close to uh, an undeclared shooting war in the Atlantic with Nazi Germany uh, itself uh, between uh, American destroyers and um, German uh, U-boats. And also, the British Empire itself was such a a huge resource of uh, manpower and resources uh, that it was more than um, able to absorb much of the challenges that Nazi Germany threw at it. However, what the... um, What the British, uh, and what Churchill particularly, was under no illusion about was the enormity of what Hitler had decided to undertake in an invasion of the Soviet Union. And the belief in Churchill's mind was not necessarily that the war had been won outright, but that Hitler had made the most enormous strategic blunder and had presented himself um, with a war that was virtually unwinnable. And it must have been in Churchill's thinking uh, as well that potentially the two sides, the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, would destroy one another. Um, The invasion was of no surprise to either Eden or Churchill. Um, The way that Eden recounts this story is not one of leaping out of bed in surprise, but of um, a, a, a thing occurring that had long been predicted and, and long been uh, waited for. Um, a week earlier, Churchill had warned Roosevelt, from every source at my disposal, including some most trustworthy, it looks as if a vast German onslaught on Russia uh, was imminent. In theory, it should have been no surprise to Stalin either. Uh, Stalin had uh, predicted a uh, a war Uh, an attack, an invasion from Germany, uh, since the late 1920s. And yet, when it arrives, Stalin is in disbelief, partly because Stalin had convinced himself that he had taken the necessary precautions to keep relations stable between Germany and the Soviet Union. Uh, Intelligence flowing from his um, top spy in Tokyo, uh, Richard Sorge, um who had access to um diplomatic traffic from berlin and also from in- intelligence from great britain um from um the, the the um signals intelligence center at bletchley park where the soviet spy george cancross had been um selecting valuable information about german intentions towards the ussr and then passing it on to his Soviet handlers, um, had presented Stalin with knowledge that the an invasion was a near certainty at some point in mid to late June. However, Stalin had been uh, very reluctant to face such facts, and indeed Stalin has a complete nervous breakdown uh, once the uh, inevitability of German invasion um, is, is realised to him, uh, once the invasion has actually uh, begun um he was convinced that what he was hearing was western disinformation designed to lure him into a preemptive war against nazi germany and then create the kind of uh, clash between the two regimes on the eastern front that would destroy both of them churchill um had predicted down to a window of uh, a week or so when the invasion might begin um, and as such, he had uh, invited that particular weekend the uh, United States ambassador, John Winnant, um, and his church's own personal friend, the Secretary of State for Dominion Affairs, uh, Lord Cranbourne. The um, initial satisfaction that the Americans and the British had at hearing the news then gave way to some reservations. Uh, Winant suspects it may all be a put-up job between Hitler and Stalin, um, observed um, the uh, close Churchill confidant, uh, Jock Colville. That comment is very revealing. It shows the degree of mistrust between uh, the British and Americans on one side and the Soviets on the other. The Soviets who had, for the previous two years, been part of a a non-aggression and cooperation agreement with Nazi Germany and it was reasonably well known that the Soviets had extended to Nazi Germany all sorts of uh, assistance uh, in uh, terms of intelligence, uh, submarine bases and uh, a flow of uh, cheap resources from Nazi Ge- from the Soviet Union to Nazi Germany. At Cherkley Court on the same day, the home of Lord Beaverbrook, um, the uh, Churchill's Minister of uh, Aircraft Production uh, and the uh, owner of the, the Daily Express. Um, Michael Foote, who was one of the, um, the later, obviously, leader of the Labour Party and uh, uh, one of Britain's kind of foremost democratic socialists. Um, Michael Foote, um, who was a journalist for the Express, um, wrote to... Uh, and had written previously the polemic uh, "Guilty Men," um, which had criticised Chamberlain and an entire generation of, of appeasers. He uh, supposedly ran downstairs and uh, found a copy of in the um, gramophone cupboard of the International, um, and began to play it. On the gramophone waking up the entire household, including uh, Beaverbrook's butler, butlers and uh, his staff. Um, and he wrote in his diaries, I, I was happy to inform the bleary-eyed household, guests and butlers alike, that we were now allies of the Soviet Union. It was uh, obviously at this point no formal agreement has been reached between Britain and the Soviet Union but it was uh, an almost uh, g- uh, fate accompli, it was almost a given that this would occur. Eden um, re- got up immediately uh, from Chequers to go to London to meet Ivan Maisky who was the Soviet ambassador to London. Uh, Maisky is a fascinating character and Mies- the, the Maisky diaries are, are well worth a read. At that point, the rest of the war cabinet, including Beaverbrook and Sir Stafford Cripps, uh, later Labour Chancellor, um, and somebody who Churchill passionately loathed, um, were invited to checkers in order to discuss and debate the the events of of that day. Cripps had a slightly darker um, view of things than perhaps Churchill did. Cripps had argued previously that the Russians would not be able to hold out against Germany for more than a few weeks. Um, And the the nightmare scenario uh, for the British would be that Germany actually succeeded in the Soviet Union. If Germany managed to win in the Soviet Union, then the Germans would have access to virtually limitless resources in which to wage a renewed war uh, in the West. So the interesting thing for this discussion, I guess, is that um, that Saturday, Churchill also concurred that Russia would more more than certainly be defeated by the Germans. However, it was the elation of finding an ally. Um, It was the elation of not being alone any longer that seemed to really matter to Churchill. This was an emotional moment. If you leave aside for the moment that this new potential ally was um, a regime that was feared and hated by Churchill, that Churchill himself, uh, during the Russian Civil War, had attempted to overthrow, uh, and the fact that it could potentially wind up presenting Germany with a conquest that would give Germany uh, global ambitions and, and uh, a global power. Um, those things aside, Churchill still believed that there was uh, opportunity in this moment. Um And that perhaps there was something here that would also make it more likely to, that the Americans would then join the war, Churchill um, drafted a speech for um broadcast for that night um, that would offer unequivocal support for the Soviet union and even the and it would have greater strength coming from Churchill himself. Hermiston writes. Such was the care and attention given to the drafting uh, that it was finished only 20 minutes before Churchill was due to go on air. When it was delivered, he made it clear that he would unsay no word of criticism that he had levelled against the Soviet regime over the past quarter of a century. But he then went on to lend his support with some of the most vivid, folksy imagery he had used in any of his wartime speeches. I see Russian soldiers standing on the threshold of their native land guarding the fields which their fathers had tilled from time immemorial. I see them guarding their homes where their mothers and wives pray. Ah yes, for there are times when all pray for the safety of their loved ones, for the return of the breadwinner, of the champion of their or their protector. I see 10,000 villages of Russia where the means of existence was wrung so hardly from the soil, but where there are still primordial human joys, where maidens laugh and children play. Advancing upon this bucolic bliss was the Nazi war machine, with its clanking, heel clicking, dandified Prussian officers, its crafty expert agents fresh from the cowing and tying of a dozen countries. Churchill's conclusion was that any man or state who fights on uh, against Nazism will have our aid. It follows, therefore, that we shall give whatever help we can to Russia and the Russian. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. People. The question of what help the British could realistically give the Russians was a, uh, an interesting one. Um, the main help to Russia comes in the form of American trucks and um, aircraft, but mainly, mainly vehicles to move armies around uh, that come when uh, America uh, en- enters the war. The the British send um, some aircraft; they send hurricanes to Murmansk um, and the Arctic convoys that resupply the uh, the northern uh, cape uh, and the the Arctic of Russia um, have to have to go around the top of Norway uh, to reach the Arctic ports. Um, those sail from Britain, but often they are full of uh, American raw materials. Um, so there is um, some question over how useful British aid was uh, and how extensive British aid was to the Soviet Union, but also. Um, The thing that the Soviets want almost immediately, that there's an agreement between uh, Britain and the Soviet Union, is a second front in Europe. Uh, From early 1942 onwards, they're agitating for this and and nothing else. Stalin looked upon Britain's air war over Germany and later America's air war over Germany and the uh, second front that emerges in Italy with uh, barely concealed disdain and disgust, thinking that only an allied invasion of France was going to be anywhere near uh, what was required. Um, The ability that the Soviets had to sacrifice manpower to pour division after division into battles made um, Stalin look upon the West as being positively squeamish uh, about casualties. The most vocal ally of the Soviet Union would turn out to be Lord Beaverbrook, um, as previously said, proprietor of the Daily Express and close friend of of Churchill. Churchill himself, um, whilst he uh, presented um, a speech that offered any help possible to the Soviet Union, was still very, very wary uh, of Stalin and had a, a deep-seated aversion to um, the Soviet regime. The uh, knowledge that Britain had gone to war to guarantee the defence of Poland and the independence of Poland, and that one of the Poland's uh, chief persecutors and aggressors uh, was the Soviet Union itself, uh, was not lost on Churchill or the war cabinet. Um, men like Eden and Lord Cranbourne um, were... Uh, very cagey about what was said about the Soviet Union and that um, the words of support should only be uh, placed within a kind of a military context um, the idea that the Soviet Union was any better than Nazi Germany politically uh, was was objectionable um, and there would be widespread dissent widespread dislike of any policy of uh, official sympathy towards the Soviet Union Well, all the evidence suggests that actually attitudes towards Nazi Germany and Great Britain, during the 1930s at least, were far, far more um, uh, hard-line, far more uh, anti-Nazi than they were uh, anti-Soviet. Not to suggest that there was widespread support for the Soviet Union, but there was uh, significantly less condemnation of the Soviet Union uh, and significantly more willingness to see the Soviet Union, however misguided this view is uh, as a, a progressive force in in history, and one only needs to look at the the kind of the, the flow of British intellectuals to uh, the Soviet Union uh, during the five year plans to observe all of uh, the the changes happening there, and uh, to get a flavour of, of the kind of the intellectual climate of the time. So probably, probably there wouldn't have been. Uh, uh, 50% of the country uh, up in arms about um, friendly words towards the Soviet Union. Uh, Churchill was also concerned about the uh, stance of the Labour Party in the cabinet. Um, And he believed that any speeches that they made uh, should continue to draw a line of demarcation between the tenets of the Labour Party and those of communism. Well, that again shows Churchill's lack of understanding of the internal politics of the Labour Party that had been condemnatory of the Communist Party of Great Britain since its inception. The Labour Party during the 1930s had rejected the hunger marches as they had been organised by uh, the National Unemployed Workers Movement, which again was a creation of the Communist Party of Great Britain. So he needn't have worried That the Labour Party were in any way sympathetic towards communist thinking. Attlee uh, uh, reminds Churchill not to worry, um, and uh, that he was uh, promising to emphasise the differences between Labour, um, Labour's moderate brand of socialism, and Soviet communism. In a, brief, in a BBC broadcast to go out uh, on the, the Sunday evening, the, on the, the 23rd. Um, reassurances came also from Herbert Morrison, the Minister for Economic Warfare, um, who said that um, despite the changes in circumstances, um, that there was no reason to lift the ban on any kind of communist publications that the communist party would not get a voice and particularly uh, banned publications like the daily worker would not uh, during uh, the war years come back into circulation however there would be gradually over time and some of this comes from the ministry of information a um a change in the view that many british uh, that many british uh, media outlets had towards the soviet union from a um, brutal regime of labour camps to one of a kind of a stoic people um, who were resisting with courage and valour the predations of Nazi Germany. And you also see a version of this in uh, kind of American um, war information um, towards the, the Soviet Union. Uh, and the creation of the, of the the idea of there being Stalin as Uncle Joe. To give you an idea of some of the kind of absurdity that uh, seeped into uh, the official ways in which the Soviet Union could and could not be thought about, um, there is an example of the uh, broadcast of uh, a popular programme known as National Anthems of the Allies. This went out every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock. Um, And a new song uh, of a new ally now had to be added to the list. And, of course, that was the Internationale. This was the anthem of the working class worldwide um, and was the rallying call of communists and socialists the world over. And this was met with um, immense dislike by uh, the arch-elitist Winston Churchill. On the Thursday, the 10th of July the song uh, and the question of broadcasting the song came on the agenda of the War Cabinet. Um, Anthony Eden and um, the Minister of Information, Alfred Duff Cooper, um, were told to um, speak directly to the BBC um, and ask them to play Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture instead, um, which was obviously dedicated to the famous... Russian Field Marshal um, uh, Kutuzov, who had um, fought uh, back and resisted the uh, Grand Army um, at the Battle of Borodino, um, the Polish Grand Army, that is. So it was designed to be uh, used instead of the Internationale. It had an entirely different political meaning, an entirely different uh, political, ideological and historical context. Uh, the bbc obliged with this and 3 days later the soviet national anthem vanished from the airways um the result was not kind of nodding approval from uh, the daily express but a degree of scorn um the daily express noted um and this is the daily express the property of lord beaverbrook um who had you know become this uh, arch propagandist Uh, and um, spokesman for all things Soviet, Um, referred to the broadcast as poor, overlain with surging and fading normal to shortwave broadcasts. Cassandra in the Daily Mirror, uh, the columnist Cassandra in the Daily Mirror, under the heading Age of Kant, said that the foreign officers' skirmishes over playing the international were one of the most amusing and ludicrous farces We have had for some time, Um, as the British public solidarity with the Russian people deepened during the life and death struggle that unfolded over the following months. So did the clamour for the Internationale to return, which it did six months later. There are certain things governments do periodically, which at a, a kind of a cabinet meeting level seem like a good idea, and yet when they are rolled out as public policy, can appear petty absurd, small-minded, and, and ridiculous. And this was, uh, was one of them, a fairly trivial matter, but one which seemed to kind of almost insult the intelligence of the general public. Um, and this was perhaps why there was uh, such kind of widespread derision and condemnation of this action. Um, so throughout the war, um, the British public, the British government, And Churchill himself would have to encounter their uh, very um, complicated and um, contradictory uh, and often bruising relationship with the Soviet Union, um, a regime that, uh, unlike the British... Uh, started off from uh, a moment of uh, true devastation and fought back from from the brink, um, a, a regime that faces, uh, actually experiences invasion and catastrophe uh, on a, an almost unprecedented scale. Um, and it is a regime that Churchill uh, never trusts and never likes, but is forced to both trust and tolerate and Churchill himself has uh, several encounters uh, with Stalin um, and the relationship between the two men uh, evolves uh, throughout the war until finally Stalin has uh, entirely the upper hand Uh, but more on that um, uh, as we as we get to it anyway I hope you found this useful and I'll catch you later on the next Explaining History podcast all the best bye-bye